Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is time for the first Friends in Fiction of the new year. We are so excited to be here with you. So let's get started. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey, and my 2023 release is The Summer of Songbirds in July. This just came in right before the show. That's awesome. I love it. And it looks just as pretty. It looks prettier in the book than even like in a flat photo. And I love to see them like in 3D. Yeah. And I am Patty Callahan Henry, and on May 2nd, my 2023 release that we have been talking about, The Secret <laughs> Book of Flora Lee, will finally be out. <laughs> I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my 2023 release is Bright Lights, Big Christmas, out in September, and I don't have anything to show you just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we can use the power of our imagination, right? <laughs> I am I am Kristen Harmel, and my 2023 release is The Paris Daughter, which will be out in June, which I'm very Such a gorgeous about. cover. Thank you. And this is Friends of Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we are going to be welcoming Mary Kubica and Deborah Goodrich-Royce will join us for the after show. So get ready for a great night. Before we get started, um, if you follow Kristen, you you might have seen this, but she has a very important announcement that she wanted to share with our Friends in Fiction family. Yeah, thank you guys for the time to do this tonight. I appreciate it. Um, all of you out there, you might have already seen this news if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram or if you follow Friends in Fiction in either place. But back at the end of October, I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and I had a lumpectomy in early November. It's stage one, but the tumor turned out to be a bit more aggressive than we thought, so I've had to start chemotherapy too. I had my first infusion the week before Christmas, and I'll be in treatment through late spring. My uh, my second infusion is actually tomorrow morning, so when you're getting up and going about your day, you can think about me sitting down in my, uh, my chemo chair to get some life-saving treatment. So I'm sharing this with you for a few reasons, including that I intend to keep up with friends and fiction as best I can. And as I progress through chemo, you may see me looking differently in the coming weeks. Um, but the most important reason I would like to share this with you is this. I'm 43 years old. I don't have any relevant family history. There was no real reason to think that this would happen to me, particularly at such a young age. How, how often do I get to say 43 is young? But 43 is young for a breast cancer <laughs> diagnosis. And honestly, you guys, I did not feel the lump myself. It was found in my standard annual mammogram. And because I went in for that mammogram, the tumor was found early enough that it had not yet spread. So why am I telling you this? I am telling you this because I hope that if you take away one thing from what I'm saying tonight, it's that if you were overdue for your annual mammogram, your pap test or any type of screening like a colonoscopy or anything else, please, please, please call your doctor and schedule it today. These tests are there to save our lives. And I can honestly tell you that if I had not gotten my mammogram on time, this cancer 
would be bigger, it would have spread, and I would be facing a much more challenging situation today. Mm -hmm. So if you want to show your support for me, the best thing you can do is to make sure you're getting checked and encourage your friends to do the same thing. I also wanted to tell you quickly that I've donated a portion of my advance for that book we were just talking about, The Paris Daughter, to the Susan G. Komen Organization, which not only funds research and advocacy programs for breast cancer, but also provides loads of resources and information. Um, I know Sean is posting some links right now. Meg mm-hmm. is posting them. They're also up on my website. Um, there's ways to get more information, ways to join me in that donation. Um, and I hope you'll consider doing that. I've also made a donation from this book to the Florida Cancer Special. Foundation. Um, And it's because of readers like you that I've been able to do that. So thank you so much for all the support you've given me in my books. And thank you for the enormous outpouring of support you've already given me today. I have received nearly 2,000 messages across platforms of support and solidarity since sharing this news. And I am blown away. I'm going to eventually get back to everybody and answer everybody, but thank you so much for the messages so far. But anyhow, before I take too much more time, my prognosis is good. The next few months will be rough. I'll look different. I'll feel different, but I'll be here with you as much as I can because your support lifts me up. You three on screen with me, Patty, Kathy, and Christy, Megan, Sean behind the scenes, Ron on the podcast, and all of you out there watching are my community. You are my people. I love you and thank you so much for your my for all of the support you've shown me. Now go schedule your mammogram. <laughs> and that's it. Oh well, Kristen, we love you. We're so glad that um, we have this amazing community to be here to support you. And absolutely, yeah, and and you know, covered in love and support. You are. Well, thanks. Thanks for letting me have the time to share that. I know I I babbled a lot, but thank you. <laughs> you should. No. You don't even know how to babble, you silly girl. No. No. Well, everything seems a little trite after that news, but we know our girl Kristen is going to heal and thrive and come out on the other side of this doing good in the world. And as she says, this community really lifts her up. And our greatest hope is that in 2023, this community we built can be there for a light for all of you as well as it's been for Kristen and for Mary Kay this year and for all of us as we go through the tougher things. This isn't just about books. Yeah. So it's, it's about all of us. So if you need a boost of positivity, our most recent podcast episode, Ron posted with a Friends and Fiction official book club with PB&J. And I know that they had a blast. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> And that they had a great time doing that. And then coming this Friday, Ron and Christy are, are talking to, does she pronounce it Megan or Magon? Megan. Is it Megan? It Megan. is Megan. My gosh, that's a totally different way of spelling yeah. it. Yes, yeah, she says Christy, that, you know, when, do you remember that thing like share a Coke with? Do you remember that? Yeah. Time? She was like, my name was never on there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Her name is Megan and she spells it M-A-G-H-O-N. Um, interesting. So um, Christy will be talking to Megan Taylor, all she wrote notes and an author of three books. And Christy has not been able to stop talking about what a positive, joyous episode this was. So make sure to give it a listen when it drops. And we'll post links on the page and ask you with all your hearts. Um, if you enjoy, please leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss a single Writer's Block podcast. That's right. And you've heard us mention our new releases at the top of the show. We want to remind you 
that our new Friends in Fiction first edition subscription is available now from the indie bookstore Booktown with an E on the end in Manasquan, New Jersey. It features signed hardback first editions from each of the Fab Four in 2023 and a Friends in Fiction kitchen towel that says, Dinner Can Wait, It's Time for Friends in Fiction. I argued that we should have an F word on there, but I got voted. <laughs> she wanted to say dinner can freaking wait. I did. <laughs> that was the F word. I yeah, was going to say dinner can fluffing wait. Okay, you can, order, you can order from Booktown right now. That's Booktown with an E on the end, booktown.com, to help keep that New Year's resolution to read more on track. And speaking of that resolution to read more, guess what? Our own Anissa Armstrong has created another rock star reading challenge for us in 2023. And she'll be sharing that challenge all year long <clears throat> over on the page for the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club with Brenda and Lisa. This month, read a book with a one word title. How much fun is that? So it's if you want to keep prompt. track of this, it is, it's a great prompt. You're totally right. If you want to keep track of this year's reading in a beautiful way, don't forget about our gorgeous reading journals from Oxford. Oxford Exchange. And don't forget to join the Friends in Fiction official book club so you can see Anissa's prompts all year long. All right. Now we are going to introduce Mary and then get her on here. And I did want to let everybody know that we hope we're going to have time for some live questions. So if you have any questions for Mary along the way, please feel free to drop them in the chat and we will try to grab some and answer some of your questions live tonight. So Mary is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of several suspense novels, including The Good Girl, The Other Mrs. and Local Woman Missing. Her novels have been selected as Amazon Best Books of the Month and have been Library Reads selections. They've also been translated into over 30 languages and have sold over 2 million copies worldwide. She has been described as a hell of a storyteller by Kirkus mm -hmm. Reviews. Look, I got to curse. That was fun. Yes, yes. She's you, been described it's, it's as a hell of a storyteller by purpose reviews and her first novel the good girl was an indie next pick received a strands critics nomination for best first novel and was a nominee in the goodreads choice awards in debut goodreads author and in mystery and thriller for 2014. Mary holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio in history and American literature. She's a former high school history teacher and she lives outside of Chicago with her husband and two children. Her new novel, Just the Nicest Couple, <laughs> is set to be released on January 10th. And right, just Sean. the title makes you think, oh yeah, right. I yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean, let's bring Mary on. Hey, Mary. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, so thank you. So thank you. We're so thrilled that you're here. Um, and gosh, what a great author and book to kick off our first show of the new year. So because it's the new year, we had to start out talking about New Year's-y kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so I want to know, do you set goals or make resolutions? And if you do, do you want to share one with us? And usually I'd ask our guests to start first, but I'm going to give her a second to think about this. Just <laughs> um, so Kristen, why don't you kick us off? New Year's resolutions. Well, my 2023 is kicking off thinking about uh, cancer treatment and cancer everything. Um, but I think, you know what? My resolution is to do good this year. So, you know, obviously it's to fight cancer, clearly. Obviously, I wouldn't be going through chemo if that was not one of my hopes for the year. But it's also hopefully to do a little bit of good with that platform mm -hmm. and with um, 
sorry, I'm still taking too much time answering things. It's the, it's the steroids I'm on for this chemotherapy tomorrow. I'm telling you, but you know, you, you know what, you know what it is, it's to do good with what I've been given. I've been given an awesome opportunity in that they caught the cancer early, which lets us have time to treat it. And I've been given the awesome opportunity to have, um, this platform to speak to so many people and to remind them about getting their own checks and, um, and all of that. So do good. That's my resolution. Sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's good. Yeah. I think my resolution uh, is a little bit of that. It's to take care of my family. Yeah. And, um, I don't have resolutions as much as intentions. Like yeah, I, I like intend that. to start a new book. I intend to be a better person. Um, <laughs> So let's You're talk great uh, person. intentions rather than resolutions. I like that word a lot. I like that. Yeah. What about you? Pat? Yeah. I, you know, same as Mary Kay. I, and I posted about this on my Instagram, but I don't really make resolutions. I never have. But what I have done the past couple years is look back at the year and say, this year I did this, I did that. This year, this happened, that happened, this happened. And ask questions like, how did that make me feel? How did I get sidetracked? What worked? What didn't? What hurt? Did I hurt someone else? Right? The thing I ask questions like that. And then when I'm done doing that and looking at the year, I kind of make goals, but I like the word intentions, Kathy. I really do. Um, so my biggest goal aside from friends and family and being here for them, because that's always our priority is that, um, my secret book of Flora Lee bursts into the world and that you love her. No, everyone's we already we already do. Yes, we already love her. Sorry, I'm scratching my eye. That was good timing as I go big on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I um I'm like a big like I love to like take the week between Christmas and New Year's and like set goals and like figure out you know what worked and what didn't and moving forward. And but I think it's um shifted a lot for me in the past like few years, especially because there's just so much that we can't control. So I'm very into like, what can I control in like a small way? And I think the things that I stick to are the things that just become new habits that then like the next year, I don't have to write that down anymore because I just do it every day. Um, And so I'm really focusing this year. I realized going over the last few years that like I made a lot of great strides in like my work and like my fitness, you know, things that were like big goals for me, but I'm not as neat as I would like to be. So that's definitely something that I'm going to try to work on this year is to try to be neater. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Your house is so neat and beautiful. Oh yeah. Christy, you should see mine. You would feel better about yourself in an instant. No, I, (laughs) y'all don't know. I mean, it was just, you know, but you know, it's, it's a constant battle. And if you don't keep up with it, I don't feel like I have good habits keeping my stuff. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Mary, what about you? Are you a goal? I have to say, first of all, I love your resolution and I love just your your energy and your positive outlook. And and I'm sure I'm thinking about you. Um, I too am more like an intentions person versus a resolution because I tend to break them by like January 2nd. And then I just throw it out. (laughs) So um, for me, it's more just about like being optimistic and putting a positive spin on things. I tend to be like notoriously pessimistic. So this year I am intending to really see the positive side of things. I love, love that. It. I like that. That's I always nice. call that flipping the script, right? Like <laughs> taking whatever yeah. you heard and then turning it over um, in a different way. I like that, Mary. I like that a lot. Yeah. 
That's a really, really good one. I love that. Okay. Well, so we're all writers here. Do you have a word for the year? Uh, Kristen, you want to kick us off on that one? <laughs> sure. Um, I think it would be too simple. You know what? I'm not good at picking one word for the year. It, it, it kind of like Mary just said, it just kind of, whatever it is kind of goes by the wayside. So, you know, I was thinking about it earlier. It would be too simplistic to say health because I think that this has become more than that to me. Um, and I think it would be too passive to say hope. So I think I'm going to say fight and not fight like in the aggressive way. Cause I think really? you know that I'm not a very aggressive person. I'm not um, a very confrontational person, well, but I mean, not like with more steroids, you could maybe be. with yeah. more steroids. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm flipping the script with my steroid <laughs> prescription. Um, but, but maybe for me, it's fight for my life fight for all of you to get your mammograms, fight for better funding for breast cancer and better opportunities for people who um, who don't have the same opportunities and uh, fight like a girl, which means fighting my little heart out. And I That's like awesome. that. Mary, what about you? I think I'm going to go with optimism. Just, you know, try to see like um, the good in things, the good in people. Just, um, yeah, just kind of have that positive outlook in, in all things I do. I like that. that. MKA, what about you? Well, I don't usually pick a, a word, but, you know, I, I did a, a beach walk. We're down at Tybee Island, and uh, we walked not New Year's Day, but the day after, and I found um, some white feathers, which reminded me, and I posted this on my social media of the Emily Dickinson poem about hope is a feather. And so I think uh, the universe is telling me hope is my word this year. And I found more feathers today. I found three more white feathers. They're not wow. gray feathers, but all the ones I found have been white. That's um, awesome. I know Patty is a feather collector. Yeah, I am a feather. But that's what they represent. Just like right. it's like this quick flash reminder to me that we're not alone. Right? right that yeah. there's hope that we're not alone. So, mm -hmm. Patty, what about you? Oh, my word! I was mm -hmm. stuck on Mary Kay's word. Um, my word this year, and I do pick a word every year. So, um, and I make my family sit around on New Year's Eve and say their word. And my boys roll their eyes and <laughs> like pretend to be so annoyed. And then they pick these great words. Um, but mine this year is wonder. And um, I think sometimes, Mary, you're talking about you get caught up in pessimism. Sometimes I just get so caught up in the to-do like, okay, I got it. This done, this done, this done. I love my to-do list. I love my planner. I love my work. So I just, I want to do my work. And I forget to stop and just wonder at the absolute miracle of this world. And when I get stuck in my writing or creativity, it is always wonder and curiosity that brings me back to something interesting. So that's mm. my word. I love that. Um, How about you? I you know, you have to be really careful with your word because I think I've said this on the show before, but mine for 2020 was stillness. And <laughs> um, I got a lot more of that than I had hoped for. So I, yeah, I mine is very similar to yours, Patty. I think mine's really simple, but mine's joy. And I'm like you, and I think all of us probably do this. We love our work and we throw ourselves into it too much sometimes. And we forget to take the time to do the things that, you know, are outside of our work that really make us happy and bring us joy. So, um, especially, you know, after a couple of years of really not being able to do some of the things that we really love, I'm a very, like, I love people and crowds and all that. And so not being able to do some of that stuff, I think that's, yeah. um, kind of what I'm focused on this year. All right. Well, it's uh, Mary's moment in the spotlight. So <laughs> Mary Kay, how about kicking us off? Well, Mary, you know, um, 
if you if you all are not getting our newsletter, um, you need to sign up for it because we always have a Q&A with um, that week's author. And Mary talked about how um, people always think, oh, you're so nice and you're so sweet and you write these dark novels. <laughs> so talk to us, Mary. What was the spark of the idea for your new novel, Just the Nicest Couple? Yeah, you know, I it always starts as just like a tiny seed of an idea. I have no idea where the story is going to go when I begin. Um, but with this one, it was, you know, I liked the idea of there's a missing husband. And um, you don't read too many missing husband books. You know, it's always the wife these days that seems to be missing. So that was sort of that first spark of an idea. And the book uh, generally is about, um, there's two different couples in, in this book, just the nicest couple. Um, we have Christian and Lily who are just like your perfect couple. They're happily married. They, um, they've just recently bought the home of their dreams and they're um, ready to start their family. Lily is pregnant after having a number of miscarriages. She finally has this viable pregnancy. And so they're just really optimistic about their future. And then on the other hand, we have Nina and Jake, who are really at odds with one another. Their marriage is struggling. Um, Jake works as a neurosurgeon, so he has these incredibly long, stressful hours. And um, when he's, even when he's home, you know, he's still thinking about work. So he's just not fully invested in the marriage. And then Nina's mother is, she's getting older. She's having some health issues and she relies on Nina more and more for assistance. And that too is pulling Nina out of the marriage a little bit. She's, she's just feels really split, you know, how to focus on her, um, her husband and also take care of her mother. And, and so one night, Jake, this neurosurgeon goes missing and Nina's sure that it has something to do with um, just a big argument that they had had the night before. She thinks he's gone somewhere to blow off steam and he'll be back. And then one day turns into two days and then suddenly it's five days and he still hasn't come home. And, and so she's starting to think that something has actually happened to him. Um, on the other hand, meanwhile, going on at the same time, um, the other woman, Lily, she thinks that she may have been the last to see Jake before he went missing. So she tells her husband, Christian, what happened. And the two decide that they will do anything to keep the truth from, from coming out. So with this book, you know, I really just oh. started with that idea of a missing husband, you know, just because it was so different than anything that, that you read again, because there's so many missing wives, but I wanted to kind of flip the scripts a little bit and see yeah. what happens if I explored that. So I, yeah, that's where it began. And then as I wrote the story and the characters just grew from there. Awesome. Okay. We always, we like to ask authors, what's the book really about? And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've already told us what it's really about, or maybe there's some deeper theme that you're trying to explore. <laughs> so it's so hard. This kind of this genre is just so hard to talk about in any depth without giving too much away. <laughs> so I always feel like I have to tiptoe about around it. But there are definitely like other themes within the book. There is there there are infertility issues and aging parent issues and things like that. Um, you know, but I mean it's really it's really a thriller about this missing husband and really the lengths that people will go to protect the ones that they love and. It kind of is the, it's the type of book that makes you question, you know, are you willing to hurt somebody that you really care about? Are you willing to hurt a friend to protect yourself? Ah, yeah. That's what it's really about. Yeah, <laughs> There yeah, you really, go. I really felt that like the links that you'll go to, to protect the people that you love. That was really like mm. the big takeaway. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mary, the nicest couple is as you've intimated, but haven't said outright is a novel where, Nothing is what it looks like. 
nothing is as it seems. And just when we as readers think we've gotten to know Christian or Lily or Nina, you totally flip the script. By, and by the end, we realize that we really can't trust anyone. So, of course, each of these characters are put in situations where they have to make decisions to protect the ones they love, which makes all of this more relevant, even to readers who aren't in a twisty circumstance. Is this, to you, a comment on human nature? Do you think we have the capacity to turn dark when the ones we're love, we love are at risk? Do you, is that something you thought about as, you, as this unfolded, or, or was that something before? Talk to us about that. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a theme through all of my books, I have to say. You know, I, I really like writing a book that is like well-rooted in reality. You know, I think that there are many thrillers out there that are, they just seem extreme, you know, and they're fantastic to read, but you don't feel like they could happen. And so I think that as a writer, that's one of the things that I really strive to do is to create these suspense novels that you feel like could happen. That, you know, as a reader, you think this could happen to me, this could happen to somebody I know, this isn't incredibly far-fetched, you know, and I think that that that's for me as a writer, that's important. That's really kind of my goal. So, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm always questioning how well do we really know those closest to us, but also yeah. what would we do when put in these extreme situations? You know, as a parent, I, I feel like, you know, when somebody hurts my child, you can feel like your temper flare and you think mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do something. I want to say something, you know, I, I, and you just, you have that gut reaction. And so I think that that's, you know, Christian, especially in this book, you know, taken to really an extreme level, but he has this desire to protect his wife at all costs. And, and mm -hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you might read the book and think, wow, he's taken it too far. But I think that we don't really know what we would do in a situation unless we were put yeah. in that situation. Mm. So true. And it's a great question to ask because when you're reading, you're not only thinking about what they're doing, you're mm -hmm. thinking, what would I do? Right. So, <laughs> Mary Kay mentioned earlier that everyone talks about how nice you are. And it's not that just they talk about it. You actually are, Mary. <laughs> you are such a kind and lovely person. So how do you get in the headspace to create these twisty characters and go to such a dark place sometimes? How do you do that? You know, it's um, it's fun. I mean, it's like disturbing as that may say. <laughs> I have the most fun with some of the just the the you know, the creepiest chapters or characters that I write, you know, when something is just really off. Like I have a lot of fun writing those. I did, um, I did an interview with Ruth Ware over the summer and I, I kind of asked her a similar question because she, she writes these dark thrillers and she is just the most lovely person that I've met. And, um, you know, so I asked her too, you know, how do you put yourself in those shoes? And, you know, she was, she, she made such a great point that when you write these dark characters and these dark novels, it's kind of, um, it's kind of cathartic. You're like getting it out. So you don't have to be so, you know, like dark yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get your shadow self out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I loved it. I was like, that is, that is so accurate. But um, I think it's, it's just really exciting to me to step outside of my own, you know, suburban safe existence and my loving family and all of that. And to put myself in the shoes of, you know, maybe somebody that doesn't have that situation or somebody that has been put in this horrible situation and they're desperate to get out yeah. and just kind of explore, you know, what a person is really capable of. So, um, it's just, it's totally, it's, it's outside of my comfort zone, but yet I find so much of a thrill in writing like that. 
That's awesome. awesome. You know, Mary, you've been called the queen of domestic suspense and for good reason. Your books are really just that perfect blend of page turning plot and characters you root for. So along those lines and along with what um, what you were just sharing about uh, characters and kind of going to these dark places for characters, I wanted to share something you said in an interview about what makes a great book. You said, I love when a book is an immersive experience, when I get lost in a novel and can't put it down for anything. For me, a good book is both plot driven and character driven. The characters need to be authentic and relatable on some level. I don't need them. I don't need to like them or to agree with the choices they make, but they need to feel entirely real. I want to have an emotional connection with them. If readers don't care about the characters, we they won't care what direction the book takes or what happens in the end. So Mary, I could not agree more with that. I think that is such a great, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's such an interesting insight into what you're thinking, but I, I completely agree that that's what makes a compelling book. You need to care about the people you're reading about, um, or, or you're not going to stay with them on the journey. You're not going to be invested in that journey. So I wanted to ask you, when you set out to write your novels, to achieve that balance, how do you start? Are you more plot focused to begin with, or are you more character focused? Do you outline? Can you can you kind of talk us through the process of creating Just the Nicest Couple? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not an outliner at all. The only like notes I have for this book are just kind of a timeline of events because that was I was starting to lose track of that. So at some point during the writing process, I had to step back and and write that out for myself. But um, so I'm 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 generally not a plotter. I go into my books pretty blind. You know, I, I have that starting problem is usually what I I think of it as, you know, like, what is this developing mystery? And in this story, it's that this man is missing. And this woman believes that she was the last to see him before he went missing. And that's all I have. And um, I've written all of my books so far from multiple narrators points of view. So then the next question that I ask myself is, who do I want to tell this story? Because, you know, I I don't, I don't really want it to be one person, you know, I want to hear from a number of people, because I feel like it just gives the reader a more comprehensive view of the story, but also sometimes those narrators contradict each other and then it creates some suspense there as well. I love that. So, um, so I knew, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to hear from Lily just because she was, you know, one of the ones that was closest to this. And I, and I thought it would be more suspenseful if we didn't hear from her, if the reader didn't hear from her and then Jake is missing. So we couldn't hear from Jake. So that left just Christian, the one husband, and then Nina, the other wife. And, and so I thought that they would be the perfect narrators for the story, you know, and they both come to it with a different intent. You know, Christian is, is totally bent on saving his wife and Nina is looking for her husband. So I start there. And actually when I write, I don't write it in the same way that you read it. I just take one of these narrators at a time. And with this book, interesting. And so I wrote Christian's entire story from beginning to end. And it sounds, it sounds crazy. (laughs) But it was one of those things that when I wrote my first book years ago, the good girl, I, um, losing track of like the plot and that one had three different narrators and it was a non-linear time so I was kind of all over the place and having trouble keeping track of it so I decided to break it into sections and just write a section at a time and I loved it you know I felt like I could really get to know my characters without 
bouncing back and forth from chapter to chapter between narrators. I could just really lose myself like in Christian's voice and in Christian's story and really get to know, you know, him as a character. And of course, when I'm writing him, you know, I'm starting to think about Nina and how is Nina's story going to weave in here. And um, but so I I got all the way to the end of the book and then I jumped back and and I wrote Nina's and kind of filled in those gaps there. So and, and through the process, I get to know my characters. You know, I know a lot of authors will sit down ahead of time and they might have, you know, like a notebook that they devote to a character or, um, you know, just things like that. And I don't, I go in, you know, the first couple chapters, I, I don't know this person at all. They're a total stranger to me. And, um, you know, I don't know their backstory. I don't know kind of how they're going to respond to a situation. And I just start to write a few chapters. And at the same time, I'm getting to know these characters a little bit more. And inevitably, there comes a point in the book where, you know, I feel like I know them, like Christian is my buddy. And, you know, I know what he would do yeah. or say. And it becomes that much easier to write. And then at some point during the process, I also start to figure out my twist, which I never, I almost never, I can't say never, but I almost never know it when I write the book. So um, I didn't know it was just the nicest couple. And I was actually headed in a totally different direction. And then a thought came to me. I really liked them. I didn't know it from the beginning of the book because everything wasn't, you know, the groundwork wasn't laid. And once it was, then it was, it was easier for me to see that. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, I love the idea of not knowing where the story is going because I think that there is just like a spontaneity to it that, you know, you, you don't, I, I don't think I would have. Mm-hmm. With and I hope that like the twist surprises me in the same way that it surprises my readers. I love, I love that. So <clears throat> when you're starting off in one character's point of view, like for example, when you're writing Christian's story, you write that through to the end. So you know how the book ends before you start writing the next character point of view. I, I, yeah. I, I I I love that because it strikes me that it's like you're not outlining, but in a way that's doing an outline because you're creating the scaffolding for the book through the one character's point of view and then finding a like just finding a way to weave the other character back in through that. That's so interesting. It's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And like I said, I, I started it by accident, but you're right. I am like totally laying that groundwork and figuring out so many things before I even start to insert Nina into the story. And um, I just, I love it, you know, and I feel like I can just get in that one character's head and really create them, make them that much more authentic because I'm not like losing track of their voice when then I go and write the, the other narrator. And um, I love it. I, I the, One of the other things, um, another author, JT Ellison, she had said one time, I always loved this idea and I thought it would be so fun to try, but she's not exactly an outliner either. But what she does is she writes the first sentence of every chapter and just leaves it at that. And I thought, now that's another cool thing. One, one of these days, one of these books, I'd like to try that. Oh, that's oh wow. wow. Yeah, I'm getting ready to start work on my book for summer 24, believably, believe it or not. And for the first time in quite a while, I think I'm going to have multiple POVs. And so this is really help. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) I know. Because we can't help but listen to that and think, how can I, how can I, the book I'm working on right now has three points of view. And I'm like, how, wait, maybe I should just keep going. And I don't know the, I don't know how to solve it yet. So, yeah, um, yeah that's yeah. awesome. I love, sorry, talking to other authors is you get so many ideas. You know, I love how so many authors can inspire one another. Every yeah. book that I go into now, I'm like, I keep like ramp, I keep getting more and like having like four and, and then I'm like, okay, every book that I go into, I'm like, I'm only going to have two. I promise myself I'm only going to have two. And then like the, what book I'm working on right now is three again. And I'm like, 
at least it's not four or five. So that's good. It's we're making progress, but it, it that's so interesting though, that you write it that way. I've never thought of that. Although I will say that I do go back and make sure that like you could read any character's point of view from beginning to end and have a full story, have a full but story. that's not how I write it at all. So that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, so Mary, I just, you probably don't remember this, but, um, I'm positive you don't remember this, but, um, your, when your first book came out in 2014, that was like right about the time, um, that I got my first book deal. And you were just one of the first people to really just like reach out and be so nice Aww. and post about it and just really like give me advice. And you were amazing. That's and, so um, I remember just the general response from the author community when the good girl was such a hit, just everyone sort of being like, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. I mean, the good girl received a strand critics nomination for best first novel on top of being nominated by, for a good, good reads choice award. Um, and just all sorts of amazing things that sort of happen with this novel. And so I think that sometimes when you have that kind of success right out of the gates, that from the outside, it can look like it was easy and you were sort of anointed and like, this was it. But if I remember correctly, I think that your road to publishing The Good Girl was rocky. Like it wasn't maybe as easy as you, you really earned all those great accolades. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your uh, path to publishing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was former high school history teacher, but I'd been writing for for a long, long time for, you know, decades before the the good girl was published. Um, but nothing, nothing that I finished, actually, you know, I hadn't ever finished the manuscript before the good girl, certainly nothing that was ever published. Um, and I never really thought that I wanted to be an author. Like I, I loved writing, but I was always really shy about my writing. I didn't, I didn't know if it was good and I was kind of afraid to put it out there and see what other people thought of it. So I just, it was something that was totally personal. I kept it to myself. And then um, when my daughter was born, this was back in 2005, I took time off teaching so that I could start my family. And it was then when I was home that I started working on The Good Girl. Um, and initially it was just like, you know, it was just another manuscript I was working on. But I, I quickly fell in love with that story and the characters just in a way that I hadn't anything I had written before. Um, it took me five years to write it. I wrote it totally in secrecy. I told my husband that I was writing it, but I wouldn't let him read it. Um, but when I finished it, you know, it was the first thing that I thought I want to try, you know, I want to put it out there. I want to see if I can find an agent and get this thing published. Um, so I didn't know I had never studied creative writing in college. I was never part of a writer's group. You know, I didn't, I didn't know any writers, so I really didn't know where to begin, but, um, you know, I did some research and I got the writer's market book and I started writing up query letters and sending it to these agents. Like mind you, nobody had even proofread that book. I had not let anybody else have eyes on it at that point, just because it seems so much easier to get like the rejection from all these agents <laughs> that I never have to see than to like share it with my mother. <laughs> Who would be so supportive? <laughs> the things we worry about before we're even there, right? Yeah. Right? You're my mother. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. So I sent it out to like a hundred agents. And um, every single one of them rejected me. There were a couple that wanted to read, you know, the, I think there were three that asked for the entire manuscripts, but ultimately every single agent rejected it. 
And so I set it aside. You know, I just figured that book's never going to be published. Um, I started writing something else. I can't remember what or where it is. You know, it was nothing that moved me the way that the good girl had. But um, two years passed. So this was like two years after all those rejections came through. I'd kind of kind of put the good girl out of my mind at that point. When um, out of the blue, one of these agents reached back out to me. And it just so happens that when she first read the good girl, she was um, like right out of college, brand new to this literary agency. And she was going through the slush pile and she came across the good girl, took it home, read it, loved it. Um, but then the next day she just couldn't get the rest of her team on board. And she was working as an assistant for somebody else. So she didn't have you know the authority to take it on. And so she had to pass you know, on her team's behalf. Well, within those next two years, she was promoted from an assistant to an actual literary agent. And she remembered that book for two years and reached back oh out. My gosh. If, you know, it was if I had sold it, if I had an agent. And so, I mean, it was it was just a dream come true, you know, and I like that. Mary, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> I knew she was just as passionate about that book as that's I awesome. was. So it was it was a wonderful fit. That is incredible. I love that. What story. a story. Yeah. And, and what a sweeter, even sweeter success yeah. story. Like, you know, realizing that it was just this amazing yeah. situation that came together and, and her determination and love for the book. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I know when I talk to writers, you know, as, aspiring writers and, you know, it's, I, I mean, I was one person away from that book never being published and, you know, yeah. her potentially everything that came after never happening. And yeah. so I, you know, it's, it's about finding that person, but it's also so much about timing, you know, yeah. it just, it has to be the right time. So I always encourage people to stick, stick with it, you know? Yeah. You know, sure. because Mary, I think it's also about believing in yourself. Like you would kind of take in those rejections as like, ah, well, I guess this isn't this isn't what my future holds, but it was what your future held. And it shouldn't have taken just one person to let you know that. You know what I mean? So I think it's also about like having having the courage and the faith to believe to believe in what your heart's telling you, you know? Yeah. Did you keep writing in those two years between the time the agent got back to you? I did. Um, not with the same enthusiasm that I wrote The Good Girl, you know, and whatever I was writing in that time period, it was it was nothing that has ever been published. You know, it was something that I was just kind of tinkering with, but was not in love with. Um, and I do like to think that if I had never published anything, I would hope that I would still be writing today. Yeah, mm. yeah sometimes those practice pages are yep. you think you think you're practicing, but really you're, you're building up your, you're building up your experience. I used to say I was a newspaper reporter for 14 years and I thought I was failing. And really I had a 14 year long apprenticeship to be a novelist. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mary, we have questions like flooding in for you. So um, <laughs> right. we'll some of those, but I wanted to say just a couple quick things first. Um, we also have a lot of support uh, pouring in for Kristen and a lot of people are asking um, if you have a place where you can send cards. And so I just want to let everybody know that we'll do a post on the Facebook page tomorrow about where you can send things for Kristen if you want to, you know, send her encouragement and support because I'm sure a lot yes. of you will. Because yeah. a smarter person would know her post office box address off the top of her head, but I am not that smart I person. So I'm going to have to look it up to give it to you. I don't know. Mom either. I don't know. that. I, don't, I no. love that. Um, and then I also just had to say, oh gosh, now I've lost it. Oh, here we go. Um, so 
Mary, Joni Devine says, Mary, read all your books, keep going. And Diane says, Mary, I've read all your books and I'm looking forward to the new one. We have a lot of really great comments like that coming in. Um, And so many questions. So Kristen, why don't you pull a question for us? Yeah. And first, I just want to say thanks for all the the comments of support too. That really means a lot to me. Thank thank you all out there. That's very kind. Okay. um, Mary, we have um, Ginger Kent asking how Mary writes first person male point of view so well. Yeah. Really um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that I just, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are obviously men in my lives. So sometimes, you know, I, I, or in my life, I, you know, I can kind of put myself into, into their shoes a little bit and try to see the world that, the way that they do. But I think ultimately everybody's just human. You know, I, I think that that's kind of what I'm coming from. Um, there are things, you know, when I write a woman's point of view, you know, if it's a mother and I'm a mother, there are things that we have in common, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I relate to those, the female characters anymore like in this book we hear from christian a man and nina a woman and i feel like i relate so much more to christian just because he's it's his character you know nina comes across maybe a little bit harsh a little bit cold she kind of changes throughout the book but um i just i didn't relate to her in the same way that i did christian who you know is is so will do anything to protect his wife and his unborn child and so you know i I related more to him so i think that i just i don't i obviously i have to like keep in mind male female as i'm writing the characters but i also just kind of take them from a human point of view to write their story it's about the person love that that's a good point yep Great. Patty, do you mind pulling a question for us real quick? No, I love this one. Okay, Mary, this is from someone named Jackie Sunday. And she says, with all the types of doctors, was there a reason, a specific reason, (laughs) and why did you decide for him to be a neurosurgeon? I love that. (laughs) It's <laughs> a really good question. So it was it was mostly random, but I was just trying to think of like what would be like one of the most complex doctors, you know, that I can imagine because I was <laughs> I was thinking of this man that is just so focused on his work, you know, and how his work just occupies his thoughts all of the time. And, and, um, you know, how Nina talks quite a bit about, you know, just how stressful his work is. And when he talks about it at home, you know, it's kind of a conversation that she can't follow as much because she's just not familiar with that language. And, and so I, and that too, you know, kind of creates some rifts in their marriage. So that was, that was the reason I don't, I don't know a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, um, personally, but, um, it was, it was one of those things that I thought about, you know, just kind of what is one of the more complex, uh, you know, medical consuming. It's such a consuming job. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't go to work and come home, right? No, you don't leave that at the office. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, Mary, as usual, I had really good intentions to get to more of our live questions, but we are going to let you get back to your night and, um, and, friends, maybe Mary will pop by and answer some of your questions on the Facebook page later. But we just want to thank you so much for being our guest tonight. We loved having you. Um, Viewers, don't forget to stick around for our next amazing guest, Deborah Royce. And do not forget to grab The Nicest Couple from our bookshop.org page, your local independent bookstore, or wherever you buy your books. Um, And Mary, before you leave, can you tell readers where to find you online? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a website, marykabika.com. And on there, there are links to my Facebook uh, page, my Instagram, or Twitter. So you can, you can find me in any of those places. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Happy thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Thank you, Mary.
All right, y'all, don't forget, before we get to our new guest, Deborah, that we, the four of us, will be doing at least five live Friends in Fiction events this year. Now I don't have to say in 2023. Yeah. Now I can just say five live live (laughs) fiction events um, this year. So keep your eye out. The first one is April 26th in Columbus, Ohio. And then the live launch for my secret book of Flora Lee is set for May 1st in Charleston. And believe it or not, even this far ahead, tickets are selling fast and there's VIP tickets that are almost gone. So you don't want to miss it. You can buy right now on the Buxton Books website. Yeah. And hopefully I'll be sharing the news soon about where you can find us all in June for the Paris Daughter. I know you all know, but we're just... Tying up some final details. So also, and I just was like wanted to say it. Like, and I know, and- me too, me too. I, yeah, it's just you know, over the holidays, it just takes a long time for everyone to kind of connect the dots or whatever. But yeah. do not forget that you can support tonight's authors, friends in fiction, and independent bookstores by visiting our friends in fiction bookshop.org page, where you can find Mary's and Deborah's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. And just a reminder that when you visit bookshop. When you order a book from bookshop.org, you are helping support independent bookstores, which is so core to our mission. And um, it's a great way to kick off 2023. It absolutely is. And are you turning in for our monthly chats with the Ziddy award-winning Friends and Fiction? Friends and Fiction, (laughs) official Friends and Fiction, official book club with Brenda and Lisa. Join them on January 23rd when Ziddy Owens herself will be on to discuss bookends. All right. Well, we are so excited. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about Deborah and bring her on. Oh, okay. So Deborah Rice, sorry, I'm like finding my place in the script. See, chemo brain. It's a thing. It's happening. <laughs> Debra Rice began her career as an actress. Don't you love that I can just blame everything on it's that? So the next few months? It's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like someone's I'm, just handed me a get out of, I mean, I would not have chosen this get out of jail free card, but I have no. it and I'm going to use it. All yeah. right. Deborah Rice began her career as an actress starring as Silver Kane, sister of the legendary Erica Kane, of course, played by Susan Lucci on the ABC soap, All My Children. She went on to star in feature films such as April Fool's Day and Just One of the Guys, TV movies such as Return to Peyton Place and The Deliberate Stranger, and series such as Beverly Hills 90210 and 21 Jump Street. Oh my gosh, my daughter was obsessed with Beverly Hills 90210. Same. Uh, Yeah. Uh, After the birth of her daughter, she moved with her family to Paris. Tough work. If somebody's got to do it. (laughs) And worked as a reader for Le Studio Canal Plus in the 1990s. Deborah was the story editor at Miramax Films in New York. There, she oversaw readers, manuscript acquisitions, script development, and she edited such notable screenplays as Emma, which I loved that. Amazing. And early versions of Chicago and one of my all-time favorites, (laughs) Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. That's awesome. With writing partner Mitch, cannot say his last name, Gia Nunzio, Gia Nunzio, Deborah won a grant from the Massachusetts Arts Council in 2002 to develop and workshop their original screenplay, Susan Taft, as Run Amok. With her husband, (laughs) with her husband, Amok. Amok. With her husband, (laughs) 
You guys can't blame it on chemo brain. Don't even try. Uh, no. With her, even try. With her husband's noted small cab investor, Chuck Royce, Deborah restored the 1939 Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. Under her leadership, the Avon hosts an ongoing series of film luminaries, most recently Miranair, Richard Gere, and Chloe Sevigny. Uh, the late Gene Wilder, blah, I can't read the rest of my script, was an, and somebody, somebody was an early advocate for Deborah's writing. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Deborah and Chuck have restored several hotels, including the Ocean House, where I'm going to be in July with the summer okay. And I'm going to be in August. Awesome. So there we go. Deer Mountain Inn, Weekapog Inn, and the Margin Street Inn, and a bookstore, the Savoy in Westerly, Rhode Island, and numerous other Main Street buildings in Westerly, Rhode Island, and Tannersville, New York. So lots of stuff. Wow. I actually, I actually cut her bio down some, you guys. Wow. You've done a wow. lot. Great. So, Sean, let's bring Deborah on so we can talk to her. Hi, Hi Deborah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we Deborah. can. I've done a lot because I'm old, ladies. That's- oh, stop. Oh, no. You've had such Not- an interesting life. We've been so excited to get to talk to you about uh, Reef Road, of course, but then just about everything. So, Getting to meet you, finally. I'm so happy to be here. And two of you are booked at the Ocean House. Now we need to get the other two. I'm in. I'm in. Say the word. (laughs) Maybe all four of us together. All five of us together. That would be fun. We have done Beatrice Williams, Karen White, and Laura Willick together. Yeah, we can do it. We almost never fight in public. (laughs) We we save it. That kind of whole interesting element to... The scene at the Ocean House. <laughs> we save it for the hotel room. So, <laughs> not true at all. Big cat fight. A lot of hair pulling. <laughs> really? People do we ask never us. fight. Ever. We never fight. But they do yeah. ask us. They're like, oh, do you really get along in real life? We like, love each other so much. Because we're ridiculous. such good actors. I mean, I don't. Well, yeah. <laughs> we can't fake anything. Like geographically, are you near one another or are you very far apart? Well, not we're all, very. We're all, we're all in the South. Yeah. yeah. But we're not like. We're not driving we're distance. We're really not even other. driving distance. Yeah. We're yeah. Both, Chris, yeah. We can't get to F- Beaufort, North Carolina, where Christy is. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have done Mary it. Kay and I are the closest. We're only two hours apart. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. but everybody, else. but we see each other plenty and love each other yeah. plenty. Yes. Um, okay. Christy, let's talk you want me to kick it off? We got to talk yes. about yes. Let's go. All right, Deborah. Your Reef Road is based on a real murder, which is fascinating. Can you tell us? Because we talk about this a lot. We like to call it origin stories. Like, can you tell us how this idea found you? And when it did find you, what was the process of researching and turning it into fiction? Tell us about it. Well, that's a really good question. So I think. The story has been with me a long time. How long is really a question. Uh, my mother's best friend was murdered in 1948, Pittsburgh, December the 10th. Oh, wow. um, my mom was 12 years old. Her friend was 12. They had just had a rehearsal at the Lutheran Church for the Christmas pageant. And it was a Friday night and this girl was home alone. Her parents had gone bowling. There was some question of my mother going over there. My grandmother, for whatever reason, said no. And the parents came home at 1130 that night to find her um, 
sprawled out next to the telephone table, having been stabbed <gasps> six times. She was. Oh my God. So uh, the reason I say there's some question about the origin of the story for me, I have a sense that I've always known it, but I certainly know my mother would not have told it to me at my youngest age. By the time I was a teenager, I knew the story. And I knew that it had an effect on my mother that made her probably overprotective with me and, you know, security conscious, shall we say. Uh, when the pandemic shut us down in March of 2020, I have a house in Florida. I was in Florida. I was on a book tour for Finding Mrs. Ford. And I thought, well, if there was ever a time to sp spend some time researching the real crime, now would be it. So I did start with heavily researching the actual crime. And as you can imagine now, there's so much material on the internet. For example, the, the girl who was actually murdered was stabbed 36 times. That sounds, you know, it's, it's horrible and all. But the figure twisted my head around because my mother had always said 37. And it's like, hearing a word finally spoken that your whole life you've pronounced in your head because you've only ever seen it written. And then you hear people say it and you're just, you're, your head spins because you think I just, I never knew how to say that. It just rattled me that, that detail. So I, I began this research process and I did not want to write it as nonfiction. That's not really what I like to write anyway. And I felt like, I didn't want to get into the business of accusing real people of having killed yeah. real people. It does happen to be an unsolved crime, and I know a lot more about that. But fictionalizing it, I felt like I could get to the essence of what I wanted to explore about generational trauma and tangential trauma. The idea that a violent act doesn't just happen to the victim. It really does happen in a ripple effect to people around that victim and going forward. And that's, I think, through fiction, I was able to kind of uh, crystallize. For example, the real girl who was killed had two brothers. And in, in the book, she has one brother. It was just kind of messy and unnecessary to have that extra brother. Yeah, that Well, often at the end of the question, we say, well, what is the book really about? But you answered it about generational yeah. trauma. And that's yeah. the theme. That is absolutely yeah. the theme. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, Deborah, we're, we're also so interested in your acting roots. And there must be some similarities between getting into a character for a role and creating a character in a novel. Can you talk to us a little bit about if you bring those acting skills to bear on creating your characters or creating your stories? Is there an interplay between sort of this two sides of who you are? 100%. So oh, I was an actress young and I haven't been an actress for a long time, but I'll give you an example. I did the TV movie with Mark Harmon about Ted Bundy. Oh, and, wow. uh, Mark played Bundy and I played a watered down version of the woman who married Bundy Um she was a young woman who had really followed him from Seattle through his kind of carnage spree. She may have helped to spring him out of jail at one point. And when he was in his final murder trial in Florida, if any of you know the story, he had uh, killed a bunch of girls at a sorority. And in addition to being uh, 
sociopath, psychopath, whatever he was, psychopath, I guess. He was also something of an egomaniac. So he decided to defend himself and how it really played out. He put this young woman on the witness stand. And in the middle of this really gruesome murder trial, he said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. He said, then oh. I hereby marry you. And in the state of Florida, that was legal and binding. So she married him and she had a daughter with him. And when we did this uh, television oh movie, gosh. he was alive on death row. She was certainly alive and kicking. And so what the studio did was they watered down my character, which was unfortunate that that which is that incredible scene didn't play. So coming back to what you do with a character when you're writing and what you do with a character when you're acting. So how do you play that girl? How do you play, you know, she's marrying this guy who is a known psycho killer, mass murderer, serial killer. And so you make a choice. It's like with a character, you have to make a choice with every character you write about who and why they do what they do. And I have never actually written somebody that I think is completely without redeeming qualities. So you find you find the things that you focus on in in her case, the, the one who married Bundy, I I felt strongly that she just simply didn't believe he did it. That that was her uh go-to feeling. Sorry, I have a little cold. So um yeah, that was that's how she could do it. Like that was her motivation. That's how she could do denial. it. That's, that's what I put into it. Yeah. Um, I know I didn't see what they later did. They they later did a, a TV show that I think was a little bit more documentary. I haven't yeah. seen it. But I, I'm not. But that, so that's an example. And as you know, so if you write a murderer, chances are you haven't killed anybody, but you've got to, you just tap into whatever that, if you think it's jealousy or if you think it's a sense of betrayal or whatever it is motivating that character. And then you just, take it to the level where it would lead to those kinds of action. Yeah. You've got to find your way in. That makes sense. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. When you were writing Reef Road, um, Deborah, did you tap into that experience of playing a woman who, who um, had such a sense of denial that she'd say, I love this man and I don't believe he's capable of something that bad? Well, it's a, it's a really fine question. It's sort of a different couple of women. There are two female right. protagonists. Uh, so let's talk about the writer. The writer is the character who is researching and quite obsessively the murder of her mother's best friend. And uh, I had to let my own mother know that I made the writer and her mother a lot crazier than I think we actually <laughs> are. <laughs> Purposes That's great. But yeah, I mean, I can get into a crazy head pretty easily. I can get into an OCD head. I can get into yeah. a, a thought spinning head. No problem. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to kind of decompress at the end of the night. But yeah, so that was the headspace for the writer. Uh, she is fixated on this murder. And the book begins in... Um, you know, it takes place in the pandemic lockdown in Florida where I was writing it, which I think lent this this wonderful set of constraints to the story. It, it served a little bit like wartime. And so the book isn't about the pandemic, but the pandemic exists to hem everybody in. And the younger, more glamorous woman, Linda Alonzo, whose dishy has been Miguel, 
is last seen about three weeks into lockdown, getting on a plane at Miami International in his face mask, of course, with the two little <laughs> children. And he's going to Buenos Aires and she can't follow because the borders have closed. So that's a fantastic restriction yeah. in a thriller that the pandemic offered up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So interesting. Yeah. Um, Deborah, um, kind of going, kind of going, um, changing topics a little bit. Um, I think one of your proudest accomplishments has to be your incredible historic restoration and preservation work. And, and my husband and I, um, well, not my husband so much. He just does what I beg him to do, but (laughs) I love restoring old, old houses too. As we heard your bio, you and your husband, Chuck, have restored Ocean House, Deer Mountain Inn, Weekapog Inn, Margin Street Inn, Savoy Bookstores, and numerous other Main Street buildings in Westerly and Tannersville. Where did this love of preservation come from? Have you always been interested in saving old things? (laughs) Well, okay, let's start with the first thing we did together was the Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. And uh, when I met my husband, I was going through a really shattering divorce. It was not something Mm -hmm. I had chosen. I was um, in my early 40s and I was pretty much a mess. So we met, uh, I had two little children, and as we are getting to know each other, he, uh, coming out of the world of finance, he said, you know, there's an old theater in Stanford, Connecticut. Why don't we store it, restore it? You're in the movie business. And I, of course, was a little arrogant and said, well, Chuck, I don't know anything about that end of the movie business, which, of course, he has a very strong force of will. We did the restoration of the Avon. And in a weird way, that sort of continued me on the path to writing because we made this incredible friendship with the actor Gene Wilder. Gene lived in Stanford. Uh, Gilda Radner had left him her farmhouse there when she died. And he was married to an extraordinary woman, Karen. And they were just very active in the community. So he was involved with the Avon. And we had this writing correspondence and he said, you know, at a certain point, are you a writer? I think you're a writer. And uh, he read some stuff and became a big encourager. Yeah. So the Avon was number That's one. Yeah. But to answer your question, for us, m- most of our historic preservation has really had more to do with community than with buildings. Um, the, the, the main street, uh, movement that's going on across the United States is really about bringing back small towns, um, individually owned businesses and towns, you know, kind of the anti-big box store movement. We are very proud in Tannersville, which is, um, you know, it's the Northern Appalachians, it's the Catskills, and there was no pharmacy in Tannersville. And one of the buildings we restored, we tried desperately to lure one of the bigger pharmacies. And pharmacies are not interested in not having all that real estate. They want to step sell lipstick and diapers. You know, that's how they're going to make money. But this local guy came along and he's just the coolest guy. He runs this pharmacy. He has real, you know, allopathic medical prescriptions. He has um, homeopathy. He has naturopath cures. He has all this stuff. So, 
working moms now on the mountaintop, because one of the buildings we restored is now a daycare. There was no daycare. So Tannersville is at the top of the mountain. And to go down to the bigger town and up would take you an hour. So working moms, they have a daycare and they can actually get a prescription for their kids up there. So that's kind of the purpose of those types of restoration. That's awesome. Yeah. The thing we've done more as a business and Trust me, there's no money in the hotel business, particularly the luxury on don't do it. But <laughs> Ocean House, Weekapog Inn, Deer Mountain Inn, those, those have also been about community because they're historic um, structures in, in, that would be a terrible loss if they disappeared. Yeah. So I get the That's feeling beautiful. that restoring the Avon um, brought you closer to your eventual husband and most of us, when we restore something, it's like, well, this is this will either cure us or kill us. Restore <laughs> <laughs> something with with a man and not end up killing each other. You got gold, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's its own book. I yeah. have to stand down a lot because my husband is the one. I, you know, I have strong opinions, and he has strong opinions. So, uh, in that scenario. I walk away and I do less of it really since in the last eight years, since I've been writing more and more, our son-in-law has stepped into my role, which is a really good thing. That's awesome. awesome. Well, Deborah, before we let you go, you've talked so much about a sense of community and and building community. And um, that's so important, of course, here with friends in fiction. It's so important to our mission and um, supporting these, you know, independent bookstores and local stores and communities in general. And uh, we know that uh, Reef Road has been a part of the Indie Next list, which is really a huge honor and accomplishment and something that I think Congrats. is a list item for every author. And so um, before we let you go, tell us what that moment was like when you found out you made the Indie Next It was the most extraordinary moment, and I was thinking a lot about it. It wasn't a feeling of having arrived. It was a feeling of being able to maybe breathe a little bit. Yes, my writing career has come late in life. You know, I'm one of those sequential women rather than all-at-once women. Um, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I felt a, a real drive in these last eight years to not take a break and and not slow down. So something like that was a feeling of, oh, maybe I'm at least in the room and I can enjoy being in the room a little bit, not stop doing what I do, but right. breathe a little. Yeah. yeah. Street cred. Yeah. Street cred, yeah. Sure. It's huge. <laughs> Well, Deborah, we are so excited um, about Reef Road, and we just want to remind all of our readers out there to please pick up Deborah's new novel um, from your independent bookstore or our bookshop.org page or wherever you buy your books. We um, know that she would appreciate it too. And Deborah, we're so excited that you were here, that you joined us. We're so grateful that you made us a part of um, your launch, and we will look forward to seeing you this summer. Thank you. I know. You all need to come to Rhode Island. So I thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us, Deborah. It's amazing. All right, everyone. Well, that is it for us. And we just want to say uh, thank you for being here and remind you to tune in next Wednesday when we will be joined by the amazing Sonali Dev with her new novel, 
the vibrant years, we will get you Kristen's PO box address. <laughs> if I can find it. If she can find it. And <laughs> we hope you all have a great night. Good, Good night, night everybody. everyone. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.